Welcome to Amici, News and Insights from the New York Courts. I'm John Carr. As part of our celebration of Hispanic Heritage Month, the Office of Diversity and Inclusion is sponsoring a series of interviews with employees of Hispanic descent. Today, we're honored to be joined by Sylvia T. Miranda, a court analyst in the civil side of Brooklyn Supreme Court. Sylvia was born in the Bronx of Puerto Rican parents, but the family moved back to Puerto Rico when she spent her childhood there. In October, Sylvia was elected president of the Cervantes Society, an organization in the courts that is celebrating its 25th anniversary. Sylvia, thank you for your time. On the occasion of Hispanic Heritage Month, what do you wish other Americans better understood about Puerto Rico and Puerto Ricans? Um, well, there was a lot of controversy when uh, Hurricane Maria hit the island as to uh, whether or not Puerto Ricans were citizens, and um, and there was a, a big, huge misconception about Puerto Rico. Um, and Puerto Rico is a commonwealth of the United States. It's a U.S. territory. Um, a lot of people know it as a vacation island in the Caribbean. Um, but when Puerto Rico uh, was first uh, visited by by uh, Columbus, it was inhabited by Arawak Indians. And these Indians uh, went island hopping from South America down to the Caribbean and populated most of the Caribbean islands. Uh, and there's a big, big misconception that um, those Indians were, were called Tainos. And it, Taino is actually an Arawak uh, salutation. Uh, and Columbus misunderstood it as as the Indians uh, saying that they were that they were Taino, which is not the case. But um, Puerto Rico is a, a rich mix of of cultures from the Arawak Indians, uh, from Europeans, uh, French, uh, from Spain, and then also from the African slaves that were were brought to the island. Um, to work the the sugarcane fields as slave labor, uh, so that encompasses uh, Puerto Ricans uh, in terms of their culture. That's fascinating. So the um, Puerto Ricans of African descent are ba are the descendants of slaves almost inher almost inherently, right? Yes, those three cultures came together. Um, during during the occupation of, of the Spanish and then also um, the Americans. Um, so those three cultures are essentially what make up uh, the Puerto Rican. Uh, in some cases, the uh, European uh, heritage, uh, the genealogy is stronger than um, African, um, but we're all a mix of those three cultures. That's fascinating. You're also all United States citizens, and you're also all eligible to be elected president, and I, I'm not sure people know that. Well, the interesting thing is, funny that you should mention that, um, presidential elections are not held on the island of Puerto Rico. We're citizens, but we cannot vote if we reside on the island. However, if we reside on the mainland in in uh, the U.S. or it's, or or um, Hawaii, we can vote. 
we can register to vote and vote for the president. But if we live on on the island of Puerto Rico, we cannot. Huh, that's interesting. Very, very, because uh, the other caveat is that you can be drafted. If you live in Puerto Rico, you can be drafted into the armed forces. However, you cannot vote for the president. That sounds... But if you live on the mainland, you can vote for the president, and also, of course, you can be drafted. That sounds immensely unjust. You can be drafted, and you have no say in in the election. Yeah, it's a pretty, it's a, it's a very confusing uh, status for, for Puerto Ricans. I, I mean, it's a, been a debate for years as to whether or not it should become a state or remain as is or become independent. And and there's a big controversy on, on what the future entails for, for Puerto Rico in terms of um, the autonomy that it should have. Sure. I'm afraid that's a problem we're not going to solve on this podcast. So, no. <laughs> okay. So, but so you were born in in the Bronx, I believe, and then your family returns to Puerto Rico. Why did your family? Well, well, well. First, why did they come to New York, and then why did they go back? Well, um, during the time my my parents were in Puerto Rico, um, it was the aftermath of the Great Depression. So Puerto Rico had a hard time uh, recovering from, from that economically. So it was always uh, in the back of people's mind to go uh, to, to get better opportunities um, on the mainland. And, and there was a great migration during the time that my parents decided to migrate to, um, to the U.S. And uh, they did so for employment opportunities and a better way of life. Um, they made the decision to leave and make a new life for us uh, in New York. My dad worked for a watch factory, and then my mom worked for a doll factory sewing the hair of dolls back in the day when it was done manually. Um, and But the, they always dreamed about going back. The interesting thing about Puerto Ricans who left the island to come back uh, to come to New York or the United States, always had the dream of going back. So making the money and then going back to the island. That that was always a goal for them to do so in the, in, in the future. And um, my dad won the Puerto Rican lottery. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's a great story. Uh, I want to <laughs> he hear it. Tell, tell, me, tell me the story. It's a great story. I do want to hear it. Um, he, you know, it's, it's a different kind of lottery and what it, it it's like a, a sheet of different tickets. So each ticket is, I think back in that time, it was probably like 25 cents. So you could buy the whole sheet or you could just buy one little stub. So my father bought the whole sheet and back then I think it was a hundred thousand. So it was a lot of money. We're talking about close to 50 years ago. So with that money, he decided to um, purchase land, build the house, and then also he bought investment properties to, to provide income for us. And then we, we, moved, we moved back. We moved back when I was uh, in elementary school, just graduating from ele- elementary school. So what, what was your um, adolescence like in, in Puerto Rico? 
I mean, at first it was hard um, because the interesting thing is that Puerto Ricans there, the school kids didn't consider me as a Puerto Rican. They, they would call me a New Yorican because I wasn't a, really a Puerto Rican because I was born in New York um, and then was being raised in Puerto Rico. So there was also a language barrier uh, because my parents, although they spoke only Spanish, because we were school-aged, um, myself and my siblings, we would answer them in English, and believe it or not, we understood each other. Mm. <laughs> we understood each other. So going back to Puerto Rico and not knowing conversational Spanish was was a challenge. Um, but I had great teachers, and they saw that, that I was so willing to overcome that, that obstacle and, and really learn about the history of Puerto Rico, learn about my culture, and really try to assimilate, and also do well in my other my other subjects. And those teachers were they were amazing, and I'm very grateful to them. Those are your, your your teachers in Puerto Rico, correct? Excuse me. Your 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 teachers in Puerto Rico, correct? Yes. Yeah. Because uh, I went to uh, middle school and and high school in Puerto Rico. What brought you back to New York? I decided to apply to um, to college, and I really didn't want to stay in Puerto Rico. I had already three siblings that were um, either graduated from college or were in college when I was applying. Uh, my sister, I, I had um, gotten scholarships from uh Brown University, Harvard, wow. um, Princeton, and then I applied to Wesleyan and got a full ride scholarship, and that's where my sister was attending. And I just wanted to follow in her footsteps, so that was in Middletown, Connecticut, and I went there for four years, always coming back to the island for summer and 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 Christmas vacation. Um, but that's that's why I left uh, I left Puerto Rico. And what what did you major in at Wesleyan? Anthropology and Spanish Literature. It was a liberal arts college. Sure, and, and a very, very good one. Yes. <laughs> and but that but then, uh, when you were in college, was it was it your plan to stay on the on the mainland, or was your plan to return to Puerto Rico? Um. Well, my siblings were in New York. Um, and. Uh, I started applying to jobs in both Puerto Rico and New York, uh, but when I got offered a, a really good position in New York, I decided to stay because my sisters were established there. So I, I went to stay with them for a couple of months until I got my own place. And I just felt that um, I wanted to be independent. Mm -hmm. As opposed to going back to Puerto Rico, I felt that I, I wanted to hold my own in New York, so I decided to stay in New York. And where were you working at that time? I was working for Republic National Bank. Um, I don't know if it's still in existence, but we were working in the back office operations for the trading floor. And then um, how, how did you go from that to the court system? Well, for years, I, I was in the financial industry, um, 
I was working for banks. I became a, uh, uh, um, a federal funds trader on the floor. And um, I wanted to um, get my MBA, so I decided to apply to Columbia Business School, and then I did that. And then I was working as a consultant, as a healthcare consultant. And I did that for a couple of years. And then um, as I was doing that, I, uh, I, had, I got married, I, I had kids. I had my two oldest kids. And then I became um, pregnant with my third one and I really wanted to slow down because that's such a crazy industry, the financial industry. Um, so I decided to stay home, do some consulting work, but focus on homeschooling my son. And then after four years, I wanted to um, get back into the into the workforce, but the financial industry is very unforgiving when you take time off, you know, they like, they don't see uh, you, you know, staying home with, with your kids as an important uh, career choice. So I had a hard time trying to get back into the financial industry, and in that interim, I had a friend who, um, who had uh, had to take a leave of absence, had to take a family uh, medical leave. And uh, she asked me if I would step in. And um, I was hired by one of the judges in Queen's Supreme Criminal Court until she was ready to, to come back. And I, and I did that. Um, I figured it's, you know the saying, it's always easier to find a job when you have a job. And it wasn't demanding, which I I, uh, I was very grateful for that because uh, my son needed you know needed my time also. So it was a good it was a good trade off. And then when she decided to come back, um, I didn't realize, but I was very grateful for that also that there was a clause that for ninety days they could place you. Um, the court system would place you until you were offered a position, or if not, then you would have to leave the court system. So there was a position that was available with the um, Supreme Court Civil Chief Clerk's Office. And um, I came here, and then we got along well, Chief Clerk uh, Charles Small, and he decided to hire me as a court analyst. Oh, wow. And so what, what exactly is it that you do? Um, well, I work on special initiatives that he may have and, and, and perform uh, confidential analysis and research and planning for the, the court system. So let's say if um, the Supreme Court has certain stats they, they want run to kind of take a look at uh, staffing or um, particular court cases, uh, then I do all those all those um, studies and reports, and I issue them to the chief clerk. Mm-hmm. And then I also am in charge of updating the website um, for the Supreme Court. So I deal with all the updates to the to the judges' part rules, um, 
I've been especially busy now with COVID because things are changing uh, day to day. So, so those uh, website updates have been keeping me quite busy. Um, yeah, this, now that this we're is this is very back from the pandemic. Yeah, that this is continuing to be a very much a moving target. I know. Yeah, yeah, it's um, but it keeps me busy, and I like I like keeping busy. Uh, yes, you do, and you're also very active in the Cervantes Society, as I said in the introduction. Um, you were elected in uh, uh, October, I believe. And, uh, yes. So let, let's talk about that a little bit. What exactly is the Cervantes Society, and uh, how did it how did it uh, come to be? Uh, well, the Cervantes Society is a 501c3 uh, fraternal organization um, that was founded in 1996 out of the need for um, seeking equality and fair representation of Hispanics in the court system. Uh, there was a, um, a handful of Hispanic employees during that time, and uh, many felt that an organization was needed to be an advocate for recruiting more, more Hispanic professionals, not only in um, clerical positions, but also as court officers and as uh, lieutenants, captains, majors, uh, court clerks, and, and judges, and, and, and law clerks. So the Cervantes Society was crucial in making that happen throughout all these years and ensuring that these positions were, were, were kept. Um, and it has happened, so, hasn't it, to a large degree? You said there were only a handful and when, when this started 25 years ago, and um, obviously Hispanics are much better represented now than they were then, right? Absolutely, absolutely. There's still work to be done, but it's it's much better than, than it was back back in 1996, where, like I said, it, 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 the organization was needed then to be an advocate uh, for those positions and to expand the the diversity of the court system. Mm -hmm. Now you're very busy with your job. You're busy with the Cervantes Society. What do you do to unwind on your in your free time? Um, I have a lot of hobbies. <laughs> so, um, I love to do it. You know, do it yourself projects. I'm constantly. We own a, a house and. Uh, a house is always in need of some sort of repair or some sort of, you know, change in in, in whatever, you know, uh, uh, a bathroom, a kitchen. So I, I am I've taken courses on on renovations, so I could put up sheetrock and change an outlet if I needed to. Uh, and I also love making jewelry, so I collect. Whenever we go on vacation, I collect seashells and 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 uh, sea glass, and I design jewelry. And uh, sometimes I sell it, but for the most part, I just give it give it away as gifts to my family and friends. Oh, what that's great! What a what a great thing to do. Now, as as you educated me in at the beginning. Uh, someone from Puerto Rico is almost inherently a walking, melting pot of cultures. And, of course, that's part of the American dream is this stew of different cultures. How does that benefit the country, the court system, and, and you personally? You know, it's so important um, learning about other cultures. It, it just helps us to understand 
different perspectives within the world in which we live. Um, it helps it helps dispel negative stereotypes and and also personal biases about different cultural and, uh, and, and ethnic groups. Um, I, I just think that being a diverse people creates a richness in, in opinion and and makes us compassionate about certain issues and about others and it just benefits everyone uh, as opposed to being a homogeneous group that that's self-contained and not open to change or seeing change in others. Um, I, I always uh, uh, I always uh, was fascinated by when I was growing up being Hispanic meant being Puerto Rican because that was the ethnic group that was most common in New York and I guess in the United States in general um, and then seeing my kids interact with with their school friends and I would always ask you know what's what's your what's your ethnic uh, composition are you what are you and for the most part it was always even though they were Hispanic it wasn't just solely being Puerto Rican it's mean half Guatemalan half Puerto Rican half uh, black half Puerto Rican and or and it's just it's it's gratifying to see that richness that um, we're seeing more and more uh, being a common a commonality amongst us and it's it's just really important to understand those differences that for the most part um, makes us a richer country because of these uh, because of the cultural diversity that that's existent in this country it makes us a better country um, when we recognize those differences and embrace those differences because it just makes us more open to different perspectives I, I just believe that cultural cultural diversity is is so important in, in this country and in other countries, but in this country in particular, and also reflecting those differences in in the different industries and the workforce, uh, that we see that and our kids see that, that richness. Thank you for that beautiful explanation. That was, that was really wonderful. Now, in, in the spirit of Hispanic Heritage Month, are there any cultural traditions that you and your family maintain that you'd like to share with with the melting pot, those who may not be familiar with Puerto Rican customs. Well, um, there's this one celebration that, unfortunately, it's getting diluted more and more as the years pass by. But I think it's such a beautiful tradition that that we celebrate, and it's Three Kings Day. It's on January sixth. It's right after um, Christmas and the New Year. And what Three Kings Day celebrates is is uh, it acknowledges the three kings that, that traveled hundreds of miles to, to visit and bring gifts to the newborn king of Israel, Jesus Christ. And um, in Puerto Rico, that's, that's celebrated. At one point, it was celebrated more so than Christmas. Um, but now it's being more and more diluted. But I think it's such a great celebration. Um, and and I, I I'm hoping that 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 uh, that custom of celebrating Three Kings Day, um, the Epiphany they call it, uh, continues because it's a it, it's a great 
celebration of love and, and, and of giving. You know, that's fascinating because, as I recall, the Magi, the, the three kings, were a very diverse group. There were three, yeah. three kings from very different places, correct? Right, that's correct. That's correct. So, so it really represents the cultural diversity that, that we, we come from and, and we, should, we should continue celebrating. Thanks for listening to Amici. you find all of our recent podcasts on the Court Systems website at www.nycourts.gov. And most are also in the iTunes podcast library. If you have a suggestion for an Amici podcast, please let me know. I'm John Carl, and I can be reached at 518-453-8669 or jcaher at nycourts.gov. In the meantime, stay tuned.